Welcome to The Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast exploring the good, true, and beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. This is episode 16, an interview with Dr. Gary Yates. You know, we, we mentioned the interesting people thing in, our, in uh, episode 14. Well, we, we say it every time. Yeah. But Hannah Anderson was the first person to... Um, would you say she took? She didn't take issue with that. She actually liked that, no, didn't she? she? Yeah. yeah, she mentioned that that was a life goal of hers to be an interesting person and to own her own graveyard. Yeah, and, um, and waterfall. And and here at the Hammer Quill, we are brought to you this week by R and D Coffee and our, our friend Quincy, our and, first sponsor. Our, well, to be honest, I had to pay for the coffee. Oh, so I don't. It's not. <laughs> I guess it's not sponsored, is it? We're, 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 but we are drinking it, but maybe we'll get sponsored. Maybe one day if we talk oh, about yeah, it. Yeah. We are shouting out R and D we're ha- we're having this delicious Dr. Yates got a, uh, what was it? A nitro float. Nitro float with caramel in it. Right. Caramel. That, caramel or caramel, depending on, you know, that's one of those hills we're not going to die. on. I would have accepted either. I think we'll accept either <laughs> or either or either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm uh, living up to be an interesting person right now. <laughs> and, and Michael, you and I have fruit in our coffee. Yeah. We're, we're speaking of interesting. Uh, yeah. There's, you know, those charts that are like, uh, chaotic, good. Oh yeah. To, to like lawful good or, or, yeah. or whatever it is. I feel like we on, on the, on the coffee spectrum, we're somewhere, we might be in the like chaotic good right now. Chaotic good. We got ice cream in our coffee. We got I got orange in my coffee. You got lemon in your coffee. You didn't just get orange. You got orange juice. Orange, yeah. And you got lemonade, right? Yeah. And mint. Yeah. It's like an Arnold Palmer. Yeah. But with coffee. Yep. Hey, for real though, if you're in the Roanoke, in the Blue Ridge Mountains, in the Roanoke Valley, you really should go to R&D. It is. They're the best. You might run into one of our early interesting pers- people's persons. Persons. Again, we'll accept either <laughs> or either. <laughs> Charles. Charles Wilson. Yeah, that's his yeah, home church away from home. That's right. That's his that's his uh church office until they get the building finished. And so we are so so glad to have Dr. Yates here. We're live and in person. Well, we're live to us. In person, uh not in the Bonhoeffer House Global Worldwide Shed Quarters <laughs> where we run the world, but actually uh at Cave Spring Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia, where we met in the middle because Dr. Yates is from Lynchburg, or is living in Lynchburg and working in Lynchburg. And so Roanoke was a nice central place. So we're here in this beautiful, beautiful, um, what, what is this called? Corner Books. Corner Books. Corner Books. It's a little bookshop slash coffee seating area slash library. And we are so thankful to be here in one of our partner churches with the Bonhoeffer House. And what this podcast, The Hammer and Quill, is all about is, is really we're all about seeking and pursuing and, and trying to focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful, especially through the lens of Philippians 4.8, which says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about these things. You know, we, we started this podcast with the conviction that so much that's coming at us in our, in our modern cultural moment is is not good true and beautiful we're, we're uh, confronted with a lot of uh, things that are really malformative and shape us away from conformity to the image of God and so we wanted to take some time and stop and look at the lives and vocations of people serving God in a kind of Philippians 4 8 
way. And so we're here with Gary Yates. We wanted to have Gary on because uh, Gary is a friend of the Bonhoeffer House and is a new member of our local faculty. He's teaching courses for the house through... Oh, yeah. We're, are we cheering know. for that? Yeah. He's teaching. He's teaching courses. You're going to have to snap louder. He's teaching courses for the Bonhoeffer House through Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary here locally in the beautiful Roanoke Valley, Virginia, uh, on the Old Testament this coming academic year. Yeah. And he's a pastor committed to both the academy and the church. And so we wanted to get with him and talk a little bit more about his life, his vocation. And so, Gary, welcome to the Hammer and Quill. Welcome to the podcast. Introduce yourself and answer this question we ask of all of our guests. What would be on the back of your baseball card? I think on the back of my card, it would be uh, good field, no hit. (laughs) (laughs) And a very tiny uh, stats uh, section. Okay. All right. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about, you know, that's two in a row now that have have been actual literal baseball statistics. Real answers, yeah. And so I like that. I like this, the way we're moving here. Typically, (laughs) so really what we want to know is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your family, uh, your career, what you're doing in life. Vital statistics in life. Yes. Yeah, I've been uh, teaching uh, Old Testament at Liberty for the last um, 18 years and uh, taught at Cedarville University in Ohio before that and uh, kind of bookended around that. I've been a pastor uh, both before and during, and so I've been pastoring now for the past two years, and so having the opportunity to combine teaching and pastoring. Uh, my wife, Marilyn, and I, we've been married for 35 years now. Wow. Wow. Okay, hold on. Now that, <laughs> yeah, snap loud for I that tried. one. 35 years. That is twice as long as I've been married. Yeah, she is a very patient woman, and uh, we have three children, and uh, um. They're all adults now. Uh, two of them are married, and uh, I have another daughter that works for Samaritan's Purse. So. Ooh, awesome. I like how he slid in there that they've been married for 35 years, and Marilyn is a very patient woman. Yeah. Like, well, that must that yeah. must need need be the case. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's great. And you are, are you teaching undergraduate? Are you teaching graduate or both? Um, I teach a little bit of both. Um, I've primarily taught in the grad area, but um, this uh, this semester I'm actually teaching a couple of uh, undergrad classes, uh, one on hermeneutics and another class on the book of Genesis. Oh, good, good. So so tell us a little bit more about uh, how you knew. So you're teaching classes on things like hermeneutics, which uh, if you're listening and you're not sure what that is, uh, why don't you explain like I'm five? What, what do you mean by hermeneutics? <laughs> well, I'm not sure a lot of the students understand what it is either, but uh, yeah, it's just really the science of interpreting the Bible and the way that we have the course uh, structured. We focus specifically on how to read the different genres of the Bible. So narrative, poetry, prophecy, apocalyptic, and really try to highlight on, you know, what, what's unique about this part of scripture and how does that affect the way that we read it and apply it? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's, it's been a uh, beneficial course for me even. Yeah. Good, good. Well, I just was going to ask like how, how uh, obviously you think that's important because you're teaching on it, but, but how, I guess, widely and, and generally acknowledged do you think that is in the church that, that, it's, it's vital for us to read according to genre or, or to know the genre as we read. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the sort of popular, I think, misconceptions of the Bible uh, often grow out of the fact that people don't always read them. Mm. Um, you know, according to genre, we take things that are literal and make them, um, you know, hyper-literal or things that are figurative and, and try to meet, read them in literalistic ways. Mm. 
Um, I've done a lot of work in teaching the prophets. Yeah. And I think that's probably maybe the part of scripture that is most abused in that way. Mm. Um, where, where there's like vision and poetry or. Right. I, I mean, things that are often described in sort of a soft lens focus. Uh-huh. Uh, we want, you know, a detailed chronology and roadmap of the future, or maybe sometimes even just a misunderstanding of what prophecy is about. Mm. It's not really about um, a roadmap of future events. Mm. Uh, most of the time the prophets were dealing with things like idolatry and social justice and mm. improper ways of worship. I mean, the same struggles that we have, right. the people in, in their audience were, were dealing with those same things. Mm. So I think we miss a lot when we, uh, we sort of ignore those parts of Scripture. We jumped right in. We jumped right in. Yeah, I was planning on going there, but awesome. we jumped right in. Hey, so before we go into in there even further, because part of what I want to get to today is is getting a little bit more of a um, uh, uh, some tips and tricks and guides for how we ought to read the Old Testament. Uh, but before we get there, tell us a little bit more about calling and vocation. We 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 really like to explore the the kind of. Um, Explore the vocations, uh, explore the callings, and even the way that God has called people into what he's called them into, really with the conviction that calling is not just a um, special thing for a select few people, but actually is something that God has for everyone. He's a calling where, you know, it may be multiple callings, that, you know, a, a variety of callings or a fluid calling that changes. And so tell us a little bit more about your calling as a biblical scholar. When did you know, this is what I'm going to do with my life? Um, I really began to sense uh, God was calling me into some type of ministry, even as early as high school. Uh, but it really wasn't until I, I went to seminary and was almost finished with my uh, Master of Theology that I decided I wanted to go further and pursue a Ph.D. And um, I, I was still actually working on my Ph.D. and pastoring. Um, and then when I finished that, my first teaching opportunity came up. And, and um, what you said about the fluidity of a calling has been definitely uh, true in my life. I feel that God's called me to teach the Word of God, to teach the Scriptures, and doing that either as a pastor or as a, um, a professor. Um, I, I feel like either of those ways are, are things that God has called me to do. Hmm. And now you did your THM and your PhD at Dallas Seminary. I did. You did. And then you from there, your first... Teaching post was at Cedarville? It, it was. Okay. Yeah. Man. But I pastored a few years before that. Okay. And um, I think uh, I really appreciate the, uh, the idea that's being put out today about pastor theologians. Mm. Uh, we're not just running corporations and those types of things. We should be people that engage deeply with the scriptures and with theology. And so the experiences I've had as a professor, I think, have helped with that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, go ahead. What was it like pastoring while working on a PhD. That sounds easy. That sounds, that sounds way too much. For, oh yeah. It was me. easy. I would ignore it for years at a time and then I get messages saying you need to get to work on this or we're kicking you out. So, oh, uh, but no, it was a, it was a challenge. We had young children at the time too, but oh, uh, I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, God got me through that. And, and again, I was talking about my wife and the just patience. her, just her encouragement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, I, I remember there was an, another professor that uh, was a member of one of my churches. And, and honestly, I, w- I was at a point where I wanted to give up with that. And he, in, so, in some ways, really wouldn't let me. Mm. And so it's people like that that, um, you know, encourage you along yeah. that uh, definitely 
have a huge impact on your ministry. So you're, you, you're, let's set the stage. You're a THM student at Dallas. You decide, I want to pursue a PhD. How did you settle on Old Testament studies? You know, what, what made you decide to go in that route? I think uh, just some of the classes I had uh, in the THM, I really enjoyed Hebrew and doing the Old Testament and uh, ended up doing a master's thesis in Old Testament areas and, and really developed a love for uh, I'd say, first of all, for the Old Testament prophets, wanted to study that more fully. Yeah. And that's... It's it's like a consistent theme here that when we have uh, when we have a scholar on, they love... They love a language. They love the languages. Yeah. And it's also a consistent theme that Michael and I, <laughs> I are, think, are not scholars. I think part of my <laughs> calling to not become <laughs> a scholar. It was like, oh, this is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not called to be an Old Testament All scholar. All these people keep saying the languages were easy and fun. Mm. That's, Maybe. What, that's what Logos is for today. Yeah. That, thank you. So, yeah. That's yeah, exactly. Maybe we can put a commercial in for yeah, that. Yeah. Sponsored <laughs> by. Sponsor. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta, that's right. Yeah, we got to start. We haven't worked that angle at no. all. No, we haven't worked. We were just talking about how I was, well, I was just petitioning for the Bonhoeffer House to buy me. Logos, so maybe we could just get sponsored. Well, if you're then, out, if you're listening out there, computer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whoever you are, yeah. go ahead and send us a copy. Sponsor Michael with yeah. with a copy of Logos. All right. So how did you end up at Liberty? You go from Dallas. You're at Cedarville, and then you end up at our wonderful neighbor here in Central Virginia, Liberty University. How'd you end up at Liberty? Well, I'm from the area. I grew up in Roanoke, and okay. um, and actually, the dean of the seminary at the time was a friend of my family, and uh, let me know about a uh, an opportunity, an opening that was there. And I and I had really always wanted to teach graduate school, uh, primarily because I, I wanted to be involved in a seminary where we were training people that were going into full time Christian ministry, and uh, so that's that's been the primary focus that I've had uh, really for the last seventeen years. Um, and and just just teaching a sprinkling of uh, of undergrad classes. So you're in the tower. I am. You're in the tower now. If you're listening and you haven't been to Liberty, there's this beautiful, tall, very very tall tower. But I'm on the second floor with oh. no, with no window. What? Uh, so. How is that even possible? It's, it's hard to imagine a room in that tower it's like with all no windows. Window. It's, so I, I that's to, where they put the Old Testament scholars. Is. <laughs> no, that's where they put, <laughs> that's where they put most all the faculty. It's a little horseshoe kind okay. of area. But um, yeah, my goal at Liberty is to have a window. I've been teaching for a while. I've never had a window. Are there anymore. professors in the in the Divinity School that have windows? Uh, Are yeah. you gunning for someone yeah, in particular? Uh, no, not gunning for anyone <laughs> okay. or anyone's office. But uh, I do get to teach like up on the twelfth floor, thirteenth. Yeah, the floor. classes are amazing. Quite a, quite a view up there, and the um, the scriptorium. Yes, oh, is amazing. Yeah. Yep, it's amazing, and, and it's right at the end of the the huge stretch of lawn. So you're, yeah, you're looking out, and when you're up up high there, it just feels good being above everybody. <laughs> You can yeah, unless, unless, the, unless the wind is up. Uh, unless the wind's blowing. Oh, or, does it get but, does it get loud up there? Uh, I I only remember that once or twice. So. Well, mm. it's worth it for the view. Well, I don't think. Well, maybe Liberty's listening. If you're listening, Liberty is always listening. Give <laughs> Give Doctor Gary Yates a window. He needs a window. Seventeen <laughs> years. It's time for a window. <laughs> 
Hey, what what hope do you have uh, for the future of liberty? It's been kind of a a little bit of a volatile spring. Yeah. Uh, um, as you look forward, what are you hoping for your school? Well, I think partly we all of us uh, in education right now, just how we know how we navigate through the COVID situation. Uh, our students were great during the spring um, in terms of adjusting to being online, but we're looking forward to being back on campus. And I and I think. Um, this is probably true for most everyone on faculty there. I, I think for the school not to be known by kind of the political controversies and things that people see in relationship to the school right. from the outside, um, I don't really see that on a daily basis. I see you know faculty that are really passionate about their calling, students that are very much on on focus with um, you know the, the calling that God has made to them. And I think just to be known for the things that yeah. I see every day rather than the things that, you know, are out there in the media and social media and that sort of thing. From if from our interactions with, you know, Dr. Yates and Dr. Pryor, it it seems some good faculty. Yeah, it seems it really does seem like committed, faithful mm. people who love love God, love people and I've met a, Yeah, I mean I think that's the norm. Yeah. So. Yeah. There's got to be a reason students are going other than the fact that it's a beautiful campus. With um, constantly streaming worship music. <laughs> what come from the trees. From the trees or the where do they where do they pump it from? It's like at Disney World where you're at Disney it World is. and you hear the music always. I'm not making that up. You can confirm this, right. correct? Right. Yes. We were there. We yeah, we heard it with our own ears. We've been there multiple times. That's right. And it was like, wow, it is just like the 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 angelic choir is just softly singing as we walk around campus. <laughs> and it sounds a lot like Chris Tomlin. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really cool at Christmas time. So yeah. I bet. I bet. Good. So so talk a little bit more about your current vocation. Uh, what you do as a, as a biblical scholar, you are obviously you're teaching classes, but what does a normal day or week look like in your life? Yeah, it's probably pretty boring for most people, but uh, I think just preparation for class. Uh, right now I'm pastoring, so um, just getting ready for messages, having meetings at church, kind of around my schedule at Liberty. And, um, and typically um, I'm usually working on a writing project uh, or something like that. I, I'm not um, uh, you know, writing thousand-page books and things like some of the uh, faculty and things that I know uh, at various schools and that sort of thing, but usually there's there's something that you're yeah. working on in terms of a book or writing project. And um, yeah, good. And I'd love to get more into the the the, the navigating. Um, as a matter of fact, let's do that now. So so shout out to Living Word Baptist, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in in Forest, did did they give you an, a window? Yes, <laughs> I do have a window. Uh, in my in my office. There the you church, go. So. There you go. Props to Living Word Baptist. <laughs> uh, so how do you how do you navigate your callings to both the academy and the church? Yeah, I think uh, one of the one of the things that's been helpful is being able to incorporate things that I've been teaching about for you know the last seventeen or eighteen years. Really using that as uh, a lot of the sermon material that that I've been working through the last couple of years. Mm. And so I think that's been the most helpful thing. But but again, just I, I think taking seriously this idea that that pastors can be theologians, and uh, I, I think there's a there's a deep hunger in our culture, for, you know, at least among Christians, 
for for deep engagement with Scripture and with the Word of God. Mm. And I think I think sometimes we, you know, we get caught up in the various popular things in in culture, and we just forget how impactful that is. Mm. That's really helpful. I, yeah, I was I was curious how much they overlapped, and so it's helpful to hear. I'm yeah, like, gosh, it, how do you manage all of these? Yeah, things? you almost have to do that. So you know, if I'm doing a class dealing with this topic, yeah. um, it, it, always helpful to you're like hey i'd like to introduce our new new sermon series it's uh (laughs) the prophets yeah yeah the problem is uh i teach uh, a lot of parts of the bible that most people aren't interested in and so that's uh um that that's part of the challenge there Mm. you know we're getting ready to start a series on a prophet yeah we haven't decided yet so can you tip us in one direction? We're considering them. So both Michael's at Sojourn Church in Floyd. I'm at Valley Bible Church in Radford. Uh, we, we actually line our sermon series up together so that we can prepare together, switch pulpits, and kind of share our kind of family uh, dynamic through our, through our preaching and our preparation. And we're, we're, we're arguing right now, as families do, about, <laughs> uh, about which probably major prophet to, to, to dive into next do you have any advice, especially considering our cultural moment right now? Yeah. Well, I think um, issues related to justice and those types of things are going to come up in all the prophets. Um, I think if you're looking at a major prophet, probably um, the book of Isaiah for Christians. Michael wins. Is, uh, <laughs> I think it's, a, it's an easier transition because you have so much in the book that is related to Christology and yeah. those types of mm. things. And I think my um, – I, I, and I – I actually preached a series in Jeremiah a couple of years ago because that's what I did my doctoral dissertation in and mm. done a lot of work in Jeremiah. Um, but I think there's a lot of great preaching material in the prophets. And um, what I would recommend is try to find, you know, eight or 10 key themes or passages that sort of give people the message and flavor of that whole book. And, uh, Rather than going verse by verse or chapter by chapter, yeah, I think I think uh, it would be very difficult to preach uh, through good. a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah. If you were going to break Isaiah into eight or ten, <laughs> do you have? How would you outline them? We might not need a sermon planning <laughs> retreat. <laughs> Actually, we should bring Doctor Yates we out should. to our sermon planning retreat. We really should. Oh man, this is happening. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll write something up before uh, before I leave today. <laughs> Tremendous! Tremendous! <laughs> Okay, so so give us some secret study habits that you use. They don't have to be secret, but just uh, in your work as a biblical scholar, we, we certainly have some aspiring scholars listening in. Uh, within the Bonhoeffer House, we've got guys who, who even, and you, you mentioned this already, but a big part of what we focus on is developing uh, young men with a vision for being a pastor theologian, someone who is, uh, is, is a doctor of the church in a sense, uh, even if they're not you know they don't have their PhD. Yeah. Uh, even if they have to use logos because the languages are a bit challenging. They're hard. Uh, so so you Nothing know. wrong with that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and so so we'd love to kind of get like a peek under the hood, behind the scenes about uh, some actual study habits that you use as you're studying and writing and preparing. Well, um, I, I think I would want to highlight just the importance of uh, for those that are in the pastorate uh, preaching all parts of scripture. And, uh, you know, there was a book that uh, a guy named Brent Strawn, who's an Old Testament scholar, wrote a few years ago called The Old Testament is Dying. And he actually looked at some of the statistics of how 
little the Old Testament is being taught in con, mm. in con, you know contemporary churches. So I think that would be uh, you know something I would want to emphasize. I think in terms of studying the Old Testament, uh, one of the things that I try to to emphasize to my uh, students that are preparing for ministry, uh, learn to study the Old Testament on its own terms and understand the, the, the text in its historical context and those types of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, from its Old Testament perspective. and But don't stop there. Um, then consider the larger canonical picture. And I think, um, you know, my preaching has uh, been greatly um, enhanced by, by just thinking about biblical theology and canonical issues. Mm-hmm. And some of that started back when I was in, uh, you know, doctoral study re- reading Brever Childs and getting exposed a little bit to canonical criticism, mm. but then just the discipline of biblical theology, which is always forcing you not just to interpret this text or to explain this text, but to explain that text in light of the rest of Scripture right, right. and to make sure that you, uh, you know, sometimes balance out perspectives and things like that, that this text is saying, obey your leaders, but there's all other there's all kinds of other places that are, you know, warning you to, to make sure that the leader is being faithful to Scripture right. and is accountable to others and those kinds of things. And I think uh, we're, we tend to get off focus with uh, even our exposition sometimes is not seeing a, an individual text in light of its larger biblical context. So how do you do that well? Like, so yeah, when, when you're preparing for a sermon or a sermon series, how do you how do you do that well without without feeling like you have to tell the whole story of the Old Testament? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is, um, you, you know, sometimes in your own study, you're going to have to to dig a little bit more deeply than you're actually going to share in the in the poll. You're not going right. to give all the nuts and bolts there. Right. But I think uh, just widely reading, um, you know, in biblical theology and how. Uh, the story of the Bible develops, um, and and um, and and then you know what are the major themes of the Bible? And I think the more you do that, uh, the more that you know, you're preaching on a particular text, and then there's going to be these other, you know, sort of benchmark passages that will start coming to mind mm. uh, from your own reading and study. So I I think that's what I would recommend. And we're going to get into we'll ask you a few book recommenda- recommendations as we go, but. Uh, while we're on the topic, if you were going to recommend a few, maybe two to three uh, biblical theologies, what would you recommend? I think if um, if someone's looking for a good biblical theology that sort of lays out just the basic story of the Old Testament, um, Stephen Dempster's book, uh, Dominion and Dynasty, is an excellent one. Um, I think my favorite biblical theology is, uh, is Greg Beale's Theology of the New Testament, because he spends a, a great deal of time um, you know, explaining how the Old Testament has influenced that. Uh, so that, that book has been very helpful. And the, the series, um, the, the New Studies in Biblical Theology by IVP, there are so many just really good books that I think pastors would benefit from. The, mm-hmm. the book that Morales did on Leviticus or that Abernathy did on Isaiah, uh, that Beale did on the temple, that Mark Boda did on repentance, and uh, there's a recent one that uh, Matthew Barrett did on Jesus and the scriptures of Israel. Again, trying to bridge the Old and New Testament. Um, that series, I, I think, is uh, is one that if I was a pastor, I'd I'd really want to tap into that resource. Mm. 
Excellent. Is this this is the um, the gray books? Yeah, they're a little gray, silver. That's good. We'll put. We'll, I don't think I'll get to all of those gonna, in the show notes. Like here, but I. I yeah, the, we can the, read the long list. The, here. the first, uh, the first few that you mentioned, we'll post in the show notes, and then you can kind of trace out all of those uh, <laughs> new studies in biblical theology, and because there's quite a few. Keyboard was going to catch fire. Well, well, yeah, one of their in, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go into a long list there, <laughs> but um, I started teaching a class called the uh, New Testament Development of Old Testament Themes a couple of years ago. That sounds really and interesting. That really, um, again, it was uh, it forced me to read scripture in a new way, and again, just to throw a, another book out, um, uh, the the echoes of scripture that Richard Hayes did. Uh, he did one on the Gospels, and he did one on Paul. But uh, those the, the, the echoes of of scripture in the gospels, yeah, I, that, it's it's kind of changed the way I've read the Bible and having an Old Testament background. It's yeah. just it's made the New Testament come alive in some new ways for me. Yeah, how I don't I don't exactly know how to ask this, and and you know we're talking to an Old Testament professor, but how how important is it for us as preachers and pastors and 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 then even just as as Christians in general to to really wrestle with and and have a grasp on the story of the Old Testament before we really wrestle with who Jesus is and and what Jesus accomplished. Yeah, I think just uh, the mission of God in the Old Testament, um, the 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 covenantal underline of of the ministry of Jesus and all those kinds of things. His role as Messiah, his role as the heavenly Son of Man, his role as the suffering servant. All of those things are are deeply informed by um, the Old Testament. So I I sometimes feel like if you're just reading Jesus from the New Testament, you have a very one dimensional understanding of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But in terms of understanding, you know, God's plan of redemption, all of the different roles and and aspects that Jesus fulfills, more than just coming to save us from our sins, right? Um, I I think the Old Testament is vital to all of that. Yeah. Excellent. Now, as far as Richard Hayes goes, you you had mentioned to me uh, not on this podcast, but previously you recommended uh, reading backwards. Yeah. And uh, but would you recommend starting with Echoes of Scripture? Well, the reading backwards is a is a, a shorter summary of the Echoes oh, that's of Scripture. Perfect. So you know, if you're in a busy pastor, yeah, I, and I think you can get the gist of uh, yeah. the Echoes of Scripture from reading backwards. So yeah, that's a, I, I think that's a great book. Mm. And and Barrett's book, um, dealing with Jesus and the Scriptures of Israel, mm. really uh, fantastic. Good, good. We will we'll link to so many of those in the show notes, <laughs> as many as I can, as I can, as I can get. Yeah, um, gold so, mine. So talk a little bit more about uh, how important devotional Bible reading is in your life. You know, we, we, will, we have just posted an article, one of our friends and contributors to both our house journal, which is our, our online writing presence, and we've interviewed him here on the Hammer and Quill. Reese Bazant uh, just wrote a great little article on why he still reads the Bible devotionally, uh, which you know, it shouldn't really be controversial or, or shocking, but but uh, but sadly can be a bit. And so him as a theologian and uh, pastor, why why is it still important to read the Bible devotionally? So for you, um, how important is that in your life, and what are some of your devotional reading practices? Yeah, I I my 
I think my focus when reading the Bible devotionally is trying to read large chunks of Scripture. I, I think when you're you know preparing for a class or preparing a message, you get so isolated on this one text and this one passage. I think just reading devotionally kind of removes you from you know the, trying to figure all the details out of that text and just being again reminded of the larger story of Scripture mm. or uh, the big picture of who God is. And so I, I think that's. Um, you know, one devotional practice that I feel is really important, either just reading large chunks of scripture or a yearly Bible plan or those types of things. Um, you know, even those of us who are preaching and teaching, we need that in our lives as well. Mm. That's good. And and if you are considering a long, uh, a longer plan, I want to re I, I want to transfer down the line advice that I've gotten from one of our previous guests, Pete Shim, uh, who uh, with like long reading plans. He says, if you miss a day or two or three, just skip them. And that was really freeing for me. Like, <laughs> instead of trying to catch up, like, oh, shoot, yeah. I'm now I'm four days behind. And then, and then you, in, internally you feel like, well, how in, in the world am I going to read five days worth of Scripture tomorrow? Uh, just to skip them. Because if you get 60 or 70% of your Bible read every year for a few years, it's, certainly it's not going to be the same 60%, right? So you're, you're kind of, you know, <laughs> over time you're getting the whole thing. Uh, and, and, and it, it's much, you're much less likely to just give up, Yeah, which is typically what I do. And I mean, other people do 400 <laughs> days to read three, three sixty five is not bad. Not either, bad. So not I, bad. Yeah. 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 Good. So, so, you know, talk a little bit about, uh, the importance of the old Testament. Uh, you know, in my experience pastoring, um, less so with, with Bonhoeffer house, when, you know, when we've got guys coming up in seminary, they kind of get it. They, they're, they want to read the old Testament. They want to see uh, they're, they're maybe even they're uh, excited to read through the Old Testament with fresh eyes, looking for um, themes, biblical the- theology, trying to put things together, see the big canonical story. But for the average church member, sometimes the Old Testament can be challenging, intimidating. Right? Yeah, and so so I, you know I, I I have we have a lot of people who might read the Gospels and maybe some of the letters, but have a challenge more challenging time in the Old Testament. Uh, why is it important first, and then? Uh, what are some some helpful kind of maybe lenses to read the Old Testament through? Guides. Yeah. I, I Again, I think just uh, to have the, the larger story of Scripture and to keep that in mind. Uh, you know, I think if you jump into the New Testament, it's sort of like walking into the middle of a movie without that story. So just keeping the, the kind of covenantal structure of the Bible in mind, um, I think that's very important. I, I think the other thing is is that so much of the Old Testament is in the form of story. Yeah. And so you see God uh, really in a lot of those stories becoming a character who enters into the narrative. He's engaging with people. And, and God is not presented really in a philosophical, theological way often as much as he is in a very relational way. Mm-hmm. God's sovereignty in the Old Testament is a major theme, but it's, uh, it's more of a relational sovereignty. So God comes down to see just how bad Sodom and Gomorrah is, or God changes his mind uh, when people pray or when people repent or mm. when Moses intercedes. And so I think you see a God interacting and dealing with real people. Um, I think of the importance of you actually have models and examples of people praying. You know, we, we other than Paul's prayers, we don't have a lot of 
you know, guides on how to pray in the in the New Testament, but in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, it's it's filled with examples yeah. of people praying. So it doesn't just you should pray. Really gives you models of how to do that. Mm. So I think all of those are um, some of the things that have been important for me. Mm. This is such a random thought. I'm I'm gonna go for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm I can always now. cut it out later. It's you the, can. <laughs> I think it's the citrus coffee. It's the, it's the, it's the orange juice it's, that's getting. Yeah, to it's you. just doing something. Um, I, so I'm curious hearing you you talk about uh, Old Testament characters as exemplars. Like, do do you see maybe a helpful corrective for us of of being able to recognize both good and bad in in these biblical heroes these these characters um i guess i guess part of what i'm thinking is we we have a cultural moment where we're where we're questioning heroes of our country oh, we're yeah. questioning tear heroes. them all down according yeah, to yeah 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 a lot of what's being said right now yeah and so i, I just am curious like clearly in the old testament scriptures the, the we there are heroes of the faith who are celebrated in even in hebrews 13 is that right uh hebrews 11 11 10 12, 12 10 11 it's 11 <laughs> it's 11 but but these here you, you kind of got me there though i was like wait a minute <laughs> that's in the new testament it's so I, yeah. I wasn't sure what you were talking about <laughs> yeah, i thought you're talking about hebrew talking, but you're, oh hebrews okay <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just curious, do, do you think seeing the New Testament char- or the Old Testament characters as, as men and women who, who do things that are really great and, and then do things that are, you know, messed up and as, as maybe a helpful way for us to view people of faith in general or. Yeah, there's a, there's a balancing perspective with, uh, with the question that you've asked, because I, I think. Primarily, the the Old Testament characters are not moral exam. That's not their primary function. Right. Their primary function is to show the movement forward of redemptive history and and God's grace and the working out of of, of salvation history and those kinds of things. Even with very flawed people, yeah, like David or uh, Samson or or whoever, or even Pharaoh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the you know there are some that have gone to the other extreme. And do not think that we could that, that we should use biblical characters or Old Testament characters as any type of moral example. Models of anything, <laughs> right? And and you know, it's simply it's about God and about redemption. And and and, and again, I, I do think that's the primary focus. I mean, look in, in the book of Genesis. Uh, look at the patriarchs and their families. I mean, they they would make a great reality show in terms of their families, how dysfunctional they are and those kinds of things. Yeah. So it's not about their, you know, you know, dare to be a a Jacob or dare to be a Joseph or that sort of thing. Yeah. But there are ways that um, these biblical characters are examples for us. And I think keeping that balance between keeping the, you know, the, the primary focus is God and what God is doing, God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and and how we can learn things from these uh, characters, um, I th- I think that's um, you know we were talking about hermeneutics. Um, I think that's one of the skills, yeah, uh, really involved in reading Old Testament narrative. And you know I think I think that uh, what is so beautiful about the Old Testament is uh, you you don't get this glossy polished picture of these people who are are who are maybe the heroes in the story or or sub heroes lowercase h heroes yeah yeah yeah. 
um, you see all the warts, you see all the, you know, um, you see what goes wrong when they're, when they mistreat people. Um, you know, David is this great king. He's this great promised one. He's the, he's a a great, um, man of God, man of God who also does some really awful things and is confronted about those things. And so, uh, in some ways, I think the scriptures themselves give us a model of saying, well, let's not just cover over and gloss over the things that uh, are ugly. Yeah. Hey, so so I love the idea of, um, for, for those of you who are listening and you're wondering why I read the Old Testament, uh, I love the idea of just understanding the whole story, how things fit together, um, the development of the story. I was thinking about last week on the podcast with Dr. Bates, Matt Bates was here, and we had this whole conversation about uh, Romans 1, 1 through 5. Uh, in particular, what does Paul mean when he says gospel of God? And then you got this unpacking of really some some clearly Old Testament themes, like he's the one who was promised by the prophets. Uh, he's the one, uh, the, Jesus is the one who was uh, the son of God the son of David mm-hmm. and the son of God yeah. who's declared in power. You've got this kind of connection where uh, um, if you don't know who David was, you don't know the promises surrounding David, you don't know the prophecies, um, then, then you just end up glossing over, right? You just read Romans one through five and you're just, it's just your eyes kind of go uh, glassy and you just keep yeah, or, going. Or even how packed Christ. Yeah. Christus. Christus. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and even when you get around to things like, now why are, again, I'm just thinking about Romans, um, why are the, the Jews and the Gentiles, like, why, what's up? <laughs> why are they having problems? Um, yeah. If you, and you think about things like uh, uh, calling for the obedience of faith among the ethnes. Well, what does that mean? Who are the ethnes? Who yeah. are the nations? Um, why is it important that this one who was the promised one who would represent David or come come physically by the line of David is also going to be the king of the nations, and if you don't if you don't have any familiarity with the Old Testament story, uh, then you don't really know where you are, you don't know what's happening. Yeah, you're uh, you're really going all the way back to the Book of Genesis, where God says to Abraham, "I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations." Yeah. And then you see, um, if you're really attentive to it in the Old Testament, all kinds of ways that. Gentiles are being brought into God's redemptive plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ruth, the Ninevites, uh, the mixed multitude that comes out of Egypt with the uh, the mm-hmm. Israelites at the Exodus, and then I think um, you know this this idea kind of explodes in the prophets that um, the prophets begin to level off uh, the relationship that God has with uh, Israel and the nations, and God has a redemptive concern just like uh, just for for them in the same way that He does for Israel. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you should write that book. I, I think some other people already have <laughs> and done it better than I have, but or could. But uh, that's okay. They're not here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not talking. We're not them. talking to them. Yeah, there's definitely um, there's you know the missionary focus of the Old Testament is yeah uh, I, is an incredible thing. Yeah, and what, what I'm what I'm curious about is, and maybe you could give some recommendations here is, you know, as a church, we're giving a lot of thought to. Um, in our cultural moment and the kind of racial unrest in our nation uh, and just giving, giving thought to like biblical categories, you know, categories like ethnicities, nations, um, peoples. And what is, what is the, what do the scriptures say about the nations? Now, now I know what revelation seven says. I know what revelation nine says. I even know what Ephesians two or say the book of Romans say, 
but uh, but going tracing it further back into what do the prophets say about yeah. Yeah. about this kind of outward facing drawing in of the ethnes that that doesn't just um, kind of make it into one kind of blob. Yeah, <laughs> I think the technical term is blob. <laughs> it doesn't just blob them together. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right, because melt, there's melting pot. Yeah, yeah, right, because there's still there's still a representation of their uh, ethnicity among the multitudes, and so I'm I'm super. I mean, I would be I would I would read that book. I'd buy that book. Yeah, you know, I think <laughs> the greatest one of the greatest missionary passages in the Old Testament is a passage that I think most people have never heard in church, mm. but in Isaiah 19, uh, in the day of the future kingdom there will not just be one people of God, mm. but Israel will be the people of God. Assyria will be the people of God, which were in Israel's greatest enemy at yeah. the time, and we know how violent and evil and wicked they And then Egypt, who was Israel's greatest enemy in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the three peoples of God. And there's a highway where the people in Egypt, Assyria, and Egypt are going to go back and forth, and there's going to be an altar to the Lord uh, in the land of Egypt, uh, in this place where you know uh, the Egyptians worshipped thousands of gods, literally, that's God's heart for the nation. And Egypt and Assyria are merely representative of uh, you know God's God's concern for all people and all nations. Mm. So there's, you know, uh, Jeremiah chapter twelve. Even the the people that have worshipped Baal, which were the Canaanites, yeah. the, you know, the people that God was supposed to exterminate, if they turn to the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah twelve fourteen to seventeen. They will be, they will be restored to their land, and they will be blessed by God in the same way as Israel. Mm. So those are those are amazing passages. Okay, that's fascinating. I'm I'm sold on Isaiah. <laughs> it's yeah. Thank you. I, Isaiah I, nineteen. I fist I fist pumped yeah, earlier. You, you definitely got to include that passage in the um, in the Isaiah sermon series. So. Well, when you write out the nine to ten <laughs> <laughs> sermons for us themes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's fascinating in this moment too, where in in the in the biblical narrative, Egypt is the the oppressive enslaving force. And, you know, we we there there is a predominant view of the world right now that that's talking about oppressors and oppressed. Right. And in that vision that you just shared, even even if that's the paradigm you're using, they're walking together. They're walking yeah, yeah they're yeah. they're they're both worshiping the same Lord. It's just, it, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me. Hey, before we transition to our lightning round, uh, talk a little bit about the books that you've authored or co-authored. I, I think I have them listed here. Urban Legends of the Old Testament, The Message of the Twelve, and The Essence of the Old Testament. Yeah, the, uh, the Urban Legends is the, the more recent one. It just came out in December. And I worked with uh, David Croto, a friend of mine. Yeah, he did the Urban Legends of the New Testament a few years ago. So we took uh, 40 common sort of popular conceptions about certain Old Testament passages and uh, that you hear repeated in church. I'm amazed since uh, I've written the book how many times one of these will either come up at church or even at school sometimes. So we do things like Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a promise that, uh, you know, God is going to make you prosperous and successful. Wait a minute. You do. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're ruining this. I, I saw your, I saw your tattoo. I don't have a tattoo of that. If you're listening at home, I don't have that tattooed anywhere on my body. <laughs> uh, but things like that. And we, um, you know, um, um, uh, 
Second Chronicles seven fourteen is a passage directed to America. Isaiah forty five, uh, uh, God created evil. So we try to take some of those common mm. mis misinterpreted passages and and give people uh, uh, a, a brief understanding of of how we should interpret them and understand them. Uh, the message of the twelve was a book that I wrote with uh, Dr. Al Fur, a, a colleague at Liberty. And we uh, provide a, it's not about the disciples, which is what everybody thinks, yeah. but it's about the minor prophets. Mm. And uh, we tried to uh, to give a survey. It's not an in-depth commentary, but it goes a little bit deeper than just, uh, just a survey. I think one of the things that's neat about the minor prophets is that um, sometimes the way the prophets communicated their message uh, was just as important as as what they were saying, and and they were you know they they crafted their messages in ways that were designed to get people's attention, and so we tried to bring some of that out, and also just to focus on some of the things when you end up reading these books uh, as sort of a unity, you know, how does reading all twelve of them together uh, influence mm. our understanding and interpretation, mm. and then the uh, the essence of the Old Testament is just a um, it's a survey of, of the entire Old Testament. We use it for um, textbook at uh, our Old Testament classes at Liberty. And um, I, I think just a good basic survey of uh, the message and background of all the uh, the books of the Old Testament. Mm. Excellent. We'll include those in the show notes as well. You know, Michael, I was tempted to to, um, to make you name as many of the 12 minor prophets as you could. <laughs> but all right, here's a, here's a, I would have lost. <laughs> When we uh, it wasn't it wasn't a win or lose, but I guess you probably would have lost. I would have lost when the uh, when the book was uh, in process. Uh, we got uh, the initial cover design, and it has a picture and the names of all twelve of the minor prophets. Ten of them on the initial cover design were wrong. <laughs> so there was like Elijah and Elisha, and I said, "We definitely need to write this book." So. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> And maybe you shouldn't be laughing as hard as I was since I, I definitely can't name all of them. You could name them. If you, I'm not saying you get 12 out of 12, but I bet if you had like 20 guesses, <laughs> you could get 12. Yeah, 12, 12 out of 20. Yeah, but we'll save that for when yeah. the microphone is not recording. Yeah, that's Don't right. want to expose your shame. Let's go right <laughs> into the lightning round. And, and if you were listening and were like, wait, what does Jeremiah 29, 11 mean? You got you to buy the book. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's a, that was good, Michael. Yeah, that was good. You have to, we're not going to tell you. You got to buy the book. Okay, we like to end our times in a lightning round, and and what we ask you to do here is just pop off those answers real quick. If you could write one book, and it was guaranteed to sell, doesn't have to be about Old Testament, doesn't have to be biblical studies. One book guaranteed to sell. What would you write? I was going to say something about baseball, going back to the baseball yeah. card, but uh, no, I think. Uh, uh, my, uh, a biblical theology, maybe of Jeremiah, um, mm. or some things dealing with how the Old Testament and New Testament intersect. And that's a great answer. Yeah. So far, my favorite, my the so far the one, <laughs> Doctor McDermott. Yeah, I still can't get over that one. Yeah. What was it? Was it? It was. It was nutty, nutty the nut. Nutty it was nut. nutty the nut. An acorn or brought a, back from Israel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and yeah. So. This is a little different than Nutty the Nut, yeah. and I would buy this book as well. Okay, what is the book that you've given away the most as a gift? Uh, Urban Legends of the Old Testament. Yeah, so, it can uh, be your own. I, I got this big <laughs> box of them. We can't sell them, so I've just been giving them away. <laughs> okay. All right, now here's a question we've asked one or two guests before. If you could, if you could have one meal, uh, would it be pizza, tacos, or hamburgers? 
uh, definitely burgers. Ooh, first burger answer, right? I I don't really don't remember. I feel like tacos has been said before. Yeah, yeah. we get a lot. It's a lot of tacos. <laughs> Best book about the Old Testament for the average Joe, someone who is doesn't even know. Not only isn't reading Hebrew, but is like I don't really want to use Logos either. Just give me a book on the Old Testament. Um, I think a Christian, uh, maybe getting a Christian perspective, knowing Jesus through the Old Testament by Chris Wright. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Oh, how about Uh-oh. this? Best book about <laughs> the Old Testament for a pastor theologian? Um, I just talked about uh, Stephen Dempster's book on uh, Dominion and Dynasty. I think yep. to get yep. the story, I, I think that would be a good starting point. Excellent. What is something under $100 that every biblical scholar should own? You could also answer that as just a pastor. You can have two things. <laughs> yeah, two $50 things. So. Uh, wow, I I honestly not sure I have a good answer there. <laughs> hmm. Lagos. Can you get Lagos for under $100? No, Nothing. I, no. There is a free version. The that, free version that, uh, of Lagos. <laughs> and and spend, take your wife out to dinner for the other $100. Yeah, there, there it is. Go. There it is. You get the free Lagos and take your wife out for <laughs> dinner. What's the worst advice you regularly hear given to young pastors and theologians or biblical scholars? The worst advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think... Um, Sometimes just trying to uh, conform people to, you know, pastor of a mega church or, you know, your preaching style. I think we all go through that, you know, depending mm. on how old you are. Uh, I, I think that's a, a bad formula for success. Mm. And I know, I remember being a young pastor and, you know, you'd, you'd read about something in leadership or Christianity Today and, your church in Kansas or your church in Bradford, you know, yeah. Floyd, <laughs> yeah. probably is not going to resonate with that mm. anyway. So I think it's probably not going to look like Willow Creek. Yeah, and I and I think that's a or uh, or what's Andy Stanley's church? North Park. I, I North Point. That's right. Yeah, I heard that he uses holograms when he's not on site. <laughs> You're joking, right? I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> one way to handle the COVID crisis. I, is, uh, <laughs> So. Are you not joking? I am not joking. Like, like I mean, that might be an urban legend. Maybe we could have an urban, urban, urban legend, legend of <laughs> megachurch pastors. Yeah, but like even you're, if you're our last hope, Star Wars type of hologram. Well, probably a little bit better than that, even. <laughs> but yes, that kind of you know, I was thinking about the worst advice I regularly hear given to young pastors and theologians is is advice that I give. That's, <laughs> I was just thinking that, and it's when I tell you. When I tell you guys to just follow your heart. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's been one of the things at Liberty. Um, most people aren't going to go out and plan a Thomas Road uh, the way that Jerry right. Falwell did. Uh, there's, there's there's unique gifts and skills that are involved in all that. So don't try to replicate that. I that's think good. Is, is what I would say. That's good. The other worst advice you regularly give. Why is, are you doing this? Is, is just buy stuff and then oh be happy. no, that's actually really good advice. <laughs> if you worst buy, advice I could give, just follow me around for a week and uh, <laughs> and you know that that would be bad. Other no. than and do the opposite. Do the yeah. uh, follow me and learn what not to do. Now yeah. I tell you guys to follow your heart when I just don't want to give an answer anymore. When yeah. I'm like, please leave me alone. Just, just follow your heart. You're going to be fine. Just do whatever you want. Uh, the <laughs> love, buy stuff. Love God, do what you want. The buy stuff. The stuff. The buy stuff advice works though like you feel better for a little while when you buy something good okay moving on how do you get unstuck on a project 
What are some tips and tricks you use to break through? Uh, I think put it away, uh, go to the golf course. Um, and then, uh, I, I, I think sometimes like with a writing project, it's amazing how much you'll be frustrated with something. And then maybe a week later, come back to it. And then it just sort of flows and there's clarity. But mm. um, I, I think sometimes you just need to get away from it. Sermons, uh, sometimes on Thursday afternoon seem to have that same feel. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to get away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And hope and just hope for the best. No, pray. no, come back, come go back around, walk. pray, go on yeah. a walk. Very, very consistent advice for getting unstuck yeah. on a project. Now, finally, very last question. I want to ask you this. If, if anyone is listening from our region of Southwest Virginia or Central Virginia, talk, tell them why they should join us for our upcoming Old Testament course offering in Roanoke. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think, we will have the opportunity to, to, to dig deep into the Old Testament. But I think we will always surface back to why does this matter? Why is it important? How does it fit into the larger picture of Scripture? And, um, you know, teaching, I've, I've been teaching Old Testament surveys and intros for about 20 years. I love all of the issues that you get into because we'll be dealing with historical things. We'll be dealing with literary aspects of the text. Uh, we'll be dealing with ethical issues, which is a major a major focus in Old Testament. How do we, yeah, you know, what do we do with a God that commands the destruction of the Canaanites? And yeah. I think even in some of our evangelical churches now, the Old Testament is viewed as sort of inferior to the New. Right. So just just diving into all those issues, um, it's it's really exciting. Something fresh every week. Mm. If you're listening, and you're free on Thursday nights. How are you not sold? You you should join us. You know, there are two options for this class. One is to take it for credit through Southeastern Baptist Theological uh, Seminary, in which case you're, you're that's just like a norm. If you're, you know, if you're in seminary, you know how to do that. The other way is you can audit this class. And so then you can, um, you can, you can take on what you can take on and leave behind what you need to leave behind. So that's going to, we're starting that in mid-August on Thursday nights in Roanoke. Now, I want to say thank you, Dr. Yates, for joining us from our mobile studio set up at Cave Spring Baptist Church in the beautiful Roanoke Valley, Virginia. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the Hammer and Quill, episode 16, an interview with Dr. Gary Yates. Hey, tune in next week when we interview Don Goodman, Mm. a recently retired chief of police in our small town, my small town of Radford, Virginia. He's also an elder at Valley Bible Church, and we're going to talk about uh, justice, law, policing, uh, yeah. the church. It's going to be it's going to be quite a ride. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad that it's not live. I'll be able to edit it. <laughs> so tune in next week. Please subscribe, review us on iTunes, throw some five star reviews our way. Until next time, peace. peace.